great to be here. <clears throat> and uh, always uh, look forward to it. I'm going to be coming a few more times this uh, summer. So I got to uh, understand uh, it's going to be less updates because every uh, month or so it's going to be, I have nothing exciting to say, you know. But the last time I was here is about uh, six months ago. And there was actually a significant update in my life, very significant. And the thing is that I, I, I ran and completed the New York City Marathon November of last year. And it was, uh, what makes it difficult is that you could take a look at me and you realize I do not have a runner's physique. <laughs> and I have gray hair, and because I'm in my late 50s, I do not have the runner's physique. And also, when I ran last year, I had um, a very severe foot problem called, it's a runner's problem, plantar fasciitis. And it usually lasts a year or two years and it's very painful uh, to, 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 to walk. Uh, but it was an opportunity I could not pass up. I had done a few half marathons before, but uh, when you get into the New York Marathon, you just can't pass up. Because there's a various ways that you can get into the New York City Marathon. The first way, and it's the preferred way, is that if you can show that you have run a marathon in the past year at a very fast pace, a pace faster than Boston Qualifier Marathon, Okay, you don't, they don't allow slugs to come into this thing, you know? Then they give you entry. You still pay the fee, but they, 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 they reserve a spot for you. Okay, I just want to tell you, I didn't get that one, okay? <laughs> I didn't get any even I didn't even run a marathon yet, let, let alone qualify time faster than Boston, okay? The second way is if that you live in New York City and you're a member of the organization that puts on the New York City Marathon, which is New York's New York Roadrunners. Uh, group, and you run a number of races, and you help out in some of their other races, handing out water, you know, whatever it is, food, bananas, bagels, whatever it is. They then guarantee you entry into the New York Marathon. Now, I don't live in New York, so forget that, you know. I, I, mean, I, I lived in New York like, like 30 years ago, 35 years ago, so that, that's gone, okay. There's a third way to qualify or to gain entry into the New York City Marathon. That is through charity. And if I wanted to hit up my friends for $2,500 to have me go to New York City, I would have done that. But, you know, you only do that raise money for Jeff Louis once, and I didn't feel like using that card at that time, you know. So I didn't do that one. I didn't want to pay, and I didn't, I didn't have the $2,500 out of my wallet to pay. Okay. I got in the old-fashioned way through the lottery. <laughs> and there's a fourth way, you just put your name and you know, you see if they pick out your name, you get in. Well, for three years in a row, my name wasn't picked out. And they had something, which they are ending actually, this is the last year they're doing it, that after three times they didn't pick your name, the fourth time they have to let you in. <laughs> so I was on the purely by grace's charity because even, I couldn't even get the lottery. They felt so bad for me and my wife that we got to let this guy in, you know. So I ran it. And, and the thing is, um, besides being older and not having the runner's physique and having a foot problem, I was also undertrained. Oh, that's the worst thing, man, to be undertrained. I had only, you're supposed to run like 20 to 26 miles in training run to, to, to show that you have the stamina. Well, my longest run was 18 miles, which seems like a lot to me. I thought when I thought, wow, that's really good, you know? <laughs> Little I know, this is what happened. 
I'm running, it's 26 miles, I'm running 13 miles, and I'm saying, oh man, my left foot is aching, fierce, man. I need a bucket of ice, right? And then I'm on mile 18, I said, Jeff, you've never run this far. <laughs> and then right at 18.1 mile, I ran out of gas. And I said, oh, I should have run, I have no energy, you know? I just, as I walked the last eight miles, which, and so people ask, well, how did you finish? I said, well, I'll tell you. I'll be honest with you. Three months after the race, they send all the people, finishers, a book. It's the finisher's book. And it has the list of all the completed runners and the times they uh, finish the New York City Marathon in. And it's, in, it's, in, it's in, in the order of the time. So the fastest ones are first and the slowest ones last. It's 192 pages. Okay, I looked, I checked this morning. I'm on page, get this, 192. Okay, I just, I just, I just, I, I'm on page 192, but I'm not on the last column, which is a saving grace. I'm on the first column of one page 92 because I beat all the other slow runners uh, on the last page, and you know, I just, I just felt really good, you know? Now, the thing I, I say this is because, you know, I could make, I could laugh at myself, and it's part of, to, to realize that, 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 much things are a journey. Life is a journey. All the years that I've been on earth is a journey. Mm, to be in Christ is a journey. There's a goal in the marathon of the finisher's medal and the ability to say that you have done something and to cross the thing out on your bucket list, you know, never to do it again, you know. There's the honor of doing that. Yeah, I ran the New York City Marathon. Yeah, I did that, you know. Uh, 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 uh. There's a goal for it, okay. In Christ, there's a goal for it. But the goal is there, but in it, there is the journey to the goal. I train for the marathon. I struggle through the marathon for the goal of getting this thing around my neck and to get uh, the, my name on it. I would, I, would, I would suffer through whatever the months of training. In Christ, it's very interesting. It's very similar, but better. There is this goal in front of us that God has guaranteed through Christ. It's magnificent, whatever you want to call it, the other world, existence, heaven, eternity, whichever way you say it, there's this goal that is out there. But the goal and the future and the otherworldliness has impact upon the present life so that you could understand and see and to begin to be transformed and changed in the present world, even though the future lies ahead of you. Like in running, so is running a race. In life, so is being in Jesus Christ. Now the passage I chose is a very unusual passage. It's from the book of the Revelation. And the, the, the passage is in your program. It's all of chapter 5. But before I read it, I need to explain what this book is about. Because it's one of these books in the New Testament that people have the hardest time understanding. Now, what makes the book of the Revelation difficult is that, and I, I, I'm joking around this, I use a very theological term, book of the Revelation is the most, is the funkiest book in the New Testament, okay? <laughs> Funky, okay? Because in chapters 6 to 22, it's highly figurative, symbolic language talking about the future and about the end, uh, end of program of God. 
Okay, that's what usually makes it very difficult, 16, uh, 6 to 22. Now, the first five chapters are very interesting. For chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's about the present existence of the church, what it was like that in around 90 AD. It had been about one, two generations of church existence. It's the last book, written book of the Bible. And in that description of chapters 1, 2, and 3, the description of the church is very similar to what you see in this world. It's almost as if God chose specific churches that transcend every generation and every century because there will be examples of all seven churches throughout the history of, 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 the, of God's people. You had 15% that was like doing very well as a church, okay? God, Jesus has nothing but praise for them. Then you have another 15% where, where it was like they were moved by wealth and materialism. And they were really like they had missed the whole point of what it meant to be in God. Yet another 15% that was living off its former glory and had lost the sense of why they're even a church anymore. You had another 15% that was basically going to church but living for themselves whatever way they wanted in obedience or disobedience to God. It's very similar to this, uh, this generation of all the generations. You have people that were very successful in Christ. You had people that were materialistically driven. You had people that thought their freedom was just to live any way they want outside of God. In the light of this, this type of people, the key chapters of 4 and 5 come in. And in 4 and 5, we have a glimpse of what the heavenly scene looks like. If you would get a glimpse of what the angels are doing and saying and talking about God, this is what the chapters 4 and 5 is about. And they are very, very important for they become the connection between the first three chapters and chapters 6 to 22. We're going to study one of these key linchpin passages. It's Revelation 5. It's in your program, but I'm going to read selective verses. And to be the guide, I, there's going to be a slide that comes out on the screen. The guide to this is how can this change us? with a heavy emphasis on the practical, even though it is a heavenly scene of the world that is at another time, okay? I have five words, one is a phrase. Each one I'm going to speak and bring a verse that is pertinent from this chapter, and I will read it. Let's look at the first word, authority. When I read Revelation 5, I cannot get away from the understanding of authority, that Jesus has some ability to change and to rule because he has done something. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. This is how the passage reads. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. Now, people say, well, first of all, why in the world is a scroll and seven seals? Okay, to make a long story short, that's what makes Revelation 6 to 22 difficult, okay? So we're not studying 6 to 22, so let's just pass it by. It basically is the fulfillment of the whole plan of God. It is in this little book, the scroll. What's also difficult about this verse is that 
Jesus is described in some unusual language. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. What in the world is he talking about? So he's like animal and vegetable at the same time. You know what? What in the world? Okay, now understand this. This whole thing of the lion from the tribe of Judah actually comes from one of the, from the first book of the Bible, where one of the first clear prophecies of the coming deliverer is mentioned in the very first book of the Bible. From the tribe of Judah, lion, found in the book of Genesis. You think it's all about creation, you know? No. It's about the promise of God at the very beginning book. Then he's described as the root of David. This is later on that Jesus will be a descendant of the most famous king of Israel, King David. He comes, and the word, verb that I will choose, he has conquered. He has authority. He has conquered. He has triumphed. You don't know how important it is to the heavenly worship and the praise of God in heaven and how it applies to us today. And it applies to us because it helps us recast and remold our image of God. What is he? And the very first image of God, the characteristic of, of, of Jesus Christ, is that he is a triumphant one. He has authority. Now, this speaks to people in all aspects of life and in all uh, 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 various degrees of success in life. I always like to see people in a spectrum. I'm going to use this, the, the, the spectrum of people who have their lives together. Now, I gotta be, I gotta, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say something that I don't believe anyone here in this room has their life fully together. Okay, so let's say, let's, let's say there's 10 things that you need. I don't believe any one of us has 10 out of 10. Okay, if you think you do, well, I feel sorry for you, okay? Because <laughs> you don't have 10. If you think you have 10 out of 10, I'll talk to your mother. And then you'll, it'll come down to nine out of 10 or 10, eight out of 10, okay? But some of you, and quite a few of you, have probably about six or seven or eight things in order. And you're on the plus side. People may want to be you. You got it all good. You got all, you got the looks, you know, you got the money, you got the job, you got the personality, you know. You got it all, okay? Maybe your children don't like you, but you don't have that 10 out of 10. But you got his eight out of 10, okay? So you know, no one's perfect. But you, you, got, you got things that people want to be, you know? Now, if you're eight out of 10 or seven out of 10, this speaks to you. You know why? Because the issue with people who have 8 out of 10 or 7 out of 10 is that we think too highly of ourselves. We think we're God's gift to you, you know? Look, I'm 8 out of 10, man. Look at you. I, I, my gift is that to help you people who are only 3 out of 10, you know? I'm 8 out of 10, you know? And, and the thing is, it's really important that even the greatest heroes in the Bible all we're waiting for this Christ to come to deliver us. And it's important that even if we seemingly have many things in our life in order, that we have this perspective that we ourselves need to humble our attitude, that we are not God's gift to this world, but we ourselves realize there is someone that I need. It is a humbling of attitude, actually. 
Now, there are other people that I said, they don't have eight out of 10, seven out of 10. Some people would just be happy if I had five out of 10. In reality, some people have four out of 10, and three out of 10, or two out of 10. And that's the sad reality of life, that we are in the spectrum of this thing. Whether we are seven or eight out of 10, we, 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 this speaks to us. Whether, whether we are two or three out of 10, this also speaks to us. But it's in a very different application. For this application isn't the humbling of ourselves. We don't need to be more humble. Everyone's telling me I'm just only two out of 10. I don't need any more of that. I already feel bad enough for my life. What do I need you to tell me I, I'm more bad than I am? I already, I'm a living proof that I feel bad about my life. Stop it. Here's the application, it's very different. For the application is not the humbling of oneself because the world has humbled us. The application is the realization that there's someone who has come to deliver me. That I have a champion because I can't be the champion. I have a champion because I will never be the champion. And that's a it's a, it's a tra strange but wonderful understanding of this. Because the God in which we, we desire, the Christ in which some of us know and some of us are listening for the first time or wondering of whether we should follow, works for people in all aspects and spheres of life. If you need a champion, because life people have said, you are nothing. The application is this, to realize and to open your life to allow this champion to come and to pick us up and to begin to transform and change us in ways in which no one ever could have imagined. Some of us are that. We need the help. Allow Christ, and sometimes that means submitting our will and our ways to Christ so that we follow the generations of faithful people who had come prior to the writing of Revelation and follow that pattern because I need help. Authority is the first word. I call it the second word phrase, sacrificial compassion. Again, I can't read this passage in five without understanding sacrificial compassion. I bring to your attention verse six, and it goes like this. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, the, 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 the contrast is very interesting. Here he's described as a lion, okay? And a vegetable, a root of David, but as a lion, okay? Now, when you actually see Christ, he's a dead animal. What gives? Well, lamb has a lot of Old Testament significance of, of sacrifice and a lot of the, the, it comes in we will make a long story short 
that there's great significance in what is declared of Jesus and how you see him. For in the eternal perspective, how they view Christ is this dual sort of majesty. Here he is, the rightful conqueror, and on the other side, he is the most compassionate sacrifice for us all. And when the two merge, you have a great picture of who this Jesus is. The sacrificial compassion is very, very important for us to know because it allows us to recast and reform our image of God and the ultimate one who has created this, this world. Now, I always see people as a spectrum of life. Sometimes I talked about how some people have things in life together and some we don't, and it's all just a sliding a scale anyway. Let's move from having things in order to how you were raised by your parents. I'll say that there is a good percentage of people who wouldn't trade their parents for any other set of parents. Okay? And there'll be a good percentage of that. There'll be also a good percentage, they were good, but, you know, I might trade them in. If I had the, you know, you could always upgrade, you know? They're good, but, you know, you know, I, Okay, there's some better ones out there. I'm not complaining, but... Okay, and then there are others would say, I trade in a split second if I could redo my parents. Okay, and we're all in this, this spectrum of it, okay? Sometimes for those who are raised very poorly, who wished parents were different, father figures were different, we have a very unusual arrangement as we approach God because we have problems with authority figures. We don't pray because we never talk to my father. I don't even want to talk to my father. I was just scared of my father. How do I approach God? What does it mean that God is gracious? What does it mean? Well, this is very, very interesting. Because this casting of who Jesus is is very different. He's triumphant, so he's to be feared, you know? Or, or you know, he's, 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 he's as majestic. But he's the ultimate embodiment of someone who sacrificed for you. That's very different. Wow. That's a whole new angle of God. Besides being raised by parents, we also have this need to be loved. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be loved than hated, okay? There's a little, little quirk in me, okay? I might be the only one, and I think this is why in life people seek after their soulmate. Some of you find it, it, like it's an animal, okay? <laughs> Sometimes, some of you find the person, okay? Some of you find the person only to lose the person. Some of you will never find the person. Because there's something in human DNA where we are social creatures and we yearn, and it's not a fake yearning. It's not a selfish yearning. It's a real yearning. It is actually a good yearning. This understanding of Jesus as being a lion, but then a slain lamb, is a very, very important and interesting 
figure of God. For let me say this. In life, whether you have found your soulmate, whether you are seeking your soulmate, or whether you have lost your soulmate, I will say that when you understand this concept and this image of Christ, there is no one in this world that you will find who has sacrificed more for your good than Jesus Christ. It's a very strange and unusual conception of God. There will be no one who will ever sacrifice themselves for you in the way that Jesus did for us. And that changes us. It changes our conception of who God is, what authority figures are. It changes the idea of whether ultimate fulfillment is finding the love of your life or the soulmate on earth. It changes how we respond to people, treating them as objects to get, a, to get ahead in life because we need to reflect this compassion to other people. Because this future and other world image of Jesus Christ has definite impact upon our lives today, whether it is an action or in how we view God or how we view the inner yearnings of life. The third phrase comes up, third word, freedom. I'm going to read verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood. And it seems like it repeats the beginning only to add a new facet. And here's the new facet. By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Oftentimes, um, just understand the scriptures correctly, just read the verbs. And that's kind of what I'm doing in this message, reading the verbs. The verb here is ransomed. The concept of being ransomed or redeemed is very important in the Bible. It's a major theme. It actually reveals itself in the second book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, when the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt. Whenever you see ransom or redemption come up, the foundational principle is that these people are in such bad straits, such a bad situation that they cannot deliver themselves, that they need an external force with external power or external money to free you because you cannot free yourself. What this says is that all of us have been freed. In a real sense, an understanding of freedom now, I am third-generation American Chinese in the United States. My father was born in New York City. He was second-generation because his father immigrated from China. I'm third-generation on my father's side, okay? And um, the reason why he immigrated was because back then, unlike now where people from China immigrate and they come with, you know, suitcase of money, you know, uh, because, you know, we manufactured 95% of the world's goods, you know. Uh, back then, people came from China because they were starving in China. Okay? This was at the turn of the century. They came to America not because we wanted to buy up half the real estate of San Francisco. <laughs> we came to America 
because if we stayed in China, we'd starve to death. Okay? That's why my ancestors came. They were peasant stock. Okay. They came to America because it was a land of opportunity. And they did meager stuff. They did hand laundry and all this stuff, you know, that the Chinese immigrants a long time ago did. Because of freedom. Because of freedom, they did it. The ability not to starve. Okay? And to get whatever job, handing, wash your clothes, cooking your rice, meal, something, you know? Because of that, I owe a lot to this country. I would rather live in the United States, even though it is never fully free. We understand that. And no, no, no perfect country. But it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> of all the states of the union, I've lived in New York. I've lived in Texas. I've lived in Illinois. I've lived in California. I like California. It's got really nice weather. I'll tell you that. Uh, air conditioning bills, I don't have air conditioning, okay? And basically, you learn to keep, I know San Franciscans, uh, their house, their temperature inside the home is colder than it is outside. I just kind of know that as, as, you know, because we don't use heat. We don't use air conditioning, we don't use heat. We get in high, we put our coat inside, you know? It's a San Francisco way of living, you know? And uh, so I said, we like the weather, it saves, saves money. And, and then, uh, you know, and, and then California's nice, you know? So San Francisco's nice. And of all the places in this world, if, if America has a, has a, has a, a reputation of freedom. The epicenter of freedom is in San Francisco. It is epicenter of freedom. That's why we, we, there's almost a trademark of what we are. What is this? Oh, it's freedom, you know? It's freedom. I, uh, last week I ran Beta the Breakers, you know? I saw freedom with my own eyes, you know? I, uh, you know I, uh, I don't have to tell you, you know? But I saw it with my own eyes, okay? I go, oh, no, I just know what freedom is in, in San Francisco, okay? And I did not partake of that degree of freedom. I just want to tell you that. Now, the thing is, we are talking about the expression of freedom. It is good to be able to express freedom in a country, not to have prejudice, OK? If you choose between tyranny and freedom, you always choose freedom. Not 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 10 out of 10. You always choose freedom. But here's the issue. Some of us think that the expression of freedom is the ultimate. It is not the ultimate. You could have the freest expression of yourself and be in sadness and despondency because there's something else within us that binds us and confines us. And it is not, it is not the lack of expression. You could be the freest person and be the most miserable in this world because there's a freedom that you and I need beyond expression. And that freedom you and I need is not found in living in America, although I would not change my uh, citizenship to another country at this time. It is found in Christ. Because Christ has ransomed us in a strange but very powerful way, he has set us free. He has set us free. You say, well, Jeff, what did he set us free from? I still look the same, you know? I, I still got the same. I mean, I, I don't feel free. Oh, yes, he has set us free. 
He has set us free to be changed, to be more like him, to have the ability to take hold of the things that bothered us. Sometimes it could be the past. You want to be free from your past? I'm sure there's, a, there's half of the people here who have something in their past that they wish they would have rid of. There's probably another third that have a quirkiness about them that they said, I just wish it wasn't there. There's probably another significant portion that doesn't have their life in order and says, look, I just, I just, I just, I just, want to, I just don't want to feel sad anymore, you know? Is something wrong with not feeling sad? Not why, is, that, is that selfish, not to feel sad? No, it's not wrong. I have learned that in Christ that there's a freedom to begin to be transformed in a very marvelous way. And you must understand that. It's not the freedom to be you. It's the freedom to grow out of all the limitations and the failings that I have in life and to begin to see the glory of God and God work to uplift me and to change me, to be free. It's a very powerful concept. Next, purpose. Verse 10, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. This is the intent and destiny of believers from the aspect of heaven as they worship God in the heavenlies as we do on earth today. Priests, they shall reign. It has the concept of being close to God, intimate. It has the concept of also serving him. It also has the concept of seeing God take control and manifest that control in life. That was our destiny. That's, that's, that's what we were made for. That, it, it, it's, forgiveness was one thing. It is the destiny of how you live and how that present and that otherworldness begins to come to you. And here I'll challenge you because I'm, I'm running out of time. The ability to commune with God. That is found here in Revelation 5. The ability to have purpose in life and to see life now not, 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 not taken control by insatiable materialism, but have a purpose that is beyond ourselves into ministry with people or to see God answer prayer and to see one of the six things that you do not have in control, now you see through Christ you can have control. It's a marvelous thing. 
And it's all by seeing the other world aspect into the present life. The final word, joy. I'm going to read verses 11 and 13. 11 goes this way. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures, because this is an angelic beings. You know, we won't go into who these people are, these beings are. And the elders of the voice of many angels numbering, and here's what I want to focus on, numbering myriads of myriads. Now, why in the world is myriads? We don't even use that word anymore. It may say 10,000. So it's 10,000 of 10,000, 10,000 times 10,000, 10,000, 10,000. Okay, I don't know. I don't want to bait that. And then on top of that, thousands of thousands. So basically, at the end of the day, there's a lot of angels, okay? There's just a lot of them praising God. Verse 13 reads like this. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Now, if you thought there was a lot of angels, out upon them every creature in heaven, on earth, in the sea, under the earth. It's basically all of creation. Um, they enjoy a celebration of what Christ has done for us. Is a joy. And there's a final word I want to end in in about a minute. Is that you let that joyous celebration that lives, that exists in the other world where the angels exist and they are in standing ovation of what Jesus can, has done for us and can do for us. For us to capture that joy. That joy is very different than concepts of happiness because you bought a new car, or you got a new job. And those happinesses are real. The type of joy that I'm talking about is an understanding of something that you possess because you have something that no one in this world can ever take away from you. That you possess something of immense worth and immense value. That all the things in this world and all the cars and the bank accounts and the relationships I have, it does not compare. The freedom, the compassion, the purpose, the deliverer, and the peace. I've been a pastor for over 25 years. And by and large, at least half the Christians I met, real Christians, were not happy. It was very sad, actually. They're not happy. And you could say, why do you think they weren't happy? They believed in Christ and they went to church. And I would say they are true believers and followers of God. But they weren't happy because they set sight on the measure of happiness on what they own on earth. If that is how we define happiness, 
most of us will never be happy. If you put that measurement on what we have and possess in the world to come and in the other world, we are infinitely wealthy. That change of perspective transforms everything. Because that means you don't have to be first in life or win. It means I could be on the last page of the finishers of the New York Marathon. I might even be the last name. From the divine perspective, It doesn't matter because my victory is in Christ. So I run the race. So I'm the slowest. So I have foot pain. So I have lupus. So I have a, a receding hairline. So I have bad eyes. I'm short, okay? I'm the wrong color. I should be six foot tall. I don't play basketball. I'm not Yao Ming, you know? I'm not even Jeremy Lin. From the divine perspective, through Christ, that is my champion. And that changes everything. And if you can understand that, it will begin to change your perspective of this world as well. Let me end in prayer. Before the service ends, there will be the receiving of offerings and a final song. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, bless these, my friends, here at Cornerstone. Some are in sadness. May you uplift them by putting their eyes and their values upon the things that you have wrought for us. Some of us need help, and our life is not in order. Many things are not in order. Allow our hearts to be humble before you, to follow you, and to follow your ways. Some of us are full of ourselves, thinking that we have conquered the world, when really, we need the conqueror. And we need to be humbled. Some have had a very bad family life, and we need our image of God and the authority figure recast with humility and compassion. Some of us have never loved. Fill us with an understanding that we have been loved and are loved. And by Jesus Christ. May his word be, bring praise and grace to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.